Football is back. And right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football with games being played nearly every day. And with Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Our guests this week are the writers for The Athletic, Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. And he's back, our special guest this week, the one and only Mr Lee Dixon. I hope you guys are doing okay. Good, thanks. That's a yes (laughs) from Lee. Now, before we start on the disaster area that is our club at present, we need something a bit light-hearted. Now, obviously, there is a bit of embarrassment currently knocking around M5. So I wanted to know what is the most professionally embarrassing thing that's happened to you? And please, so that we don't have to talk about Arsenal for too long, can you make these answers as long as possible? <laughs> um, Lee, we'll start with you. I mean, I don't even want to talk about the own goal. Well, what is the most professionally embarrassing moment well, you, for you? Why did you say I don't want to talk about it and then immediately talk <laughs> about it? Is, that a, is, that, I is know. that a comedy thing to do, is it? I don't know. You just... Yes, it wound is. Me up already. I'm already wound. I was quite relaxed before <laughs> I came on here, and now all of a sudden I'm wound up. Having said that, oh. I did have to think about the embarrassing moments um, prior to coming on, and I've done everything I can to try and get away from that um, Coventry moment. But it was so iconic, um, and it's become so iconic that it. I've never been embarrassed like that before based on the fact of being at home in front of your own fans, being so early in the game um, and the the quality of the strike and the chip and the um, deceit in which I kind of led um, David Seaman into a false sense of security and then, I mean, I'm st- there's still certain, we're big mates as you know, me and Dave and there's Definitely, um, a portion of blame goes on his on his shoulders, which he's still to this day not having. But you know, I I did start the um, the chip over the seaman head uh, thing that that continued for many years yes. after. So I was the first, so I take some credit in that. But the feeling, the I mean, you you can see it when I when the ball goes in the net, one hand on hip, the other one to my head, looking at the ground, going, "How am I going to get out of this now?" The, the the saving grace was it was so early in the game that I thought, well, we're playing Coventry, so we'll absolutely smash them, which we did absolutely smash them from a performance point of view, but obviously got beat. So George wasn't happy, I have to tell you. Not a happy man. Did did you play better in that game after what happened there? Just because, or were you trying too hard? I can't remember. I was the whole game. I was just thinking about what's going to happen if we don't win. The only the only thing I had going for me was the fact that we would probably win the game and the fact that we didn't then just led to so I don't know if I tried any harder I mean I'd like to think I was professional and just got on with my job and I, I, the game itself I just felt like it was a normal Arsenal game at home pretty dominant and we'll, we'll end up scoring more goals than them and we'll win the game but um, I could just remember at half time when I went in I put my hand up and sort of went sorry lads and uh they didn't even. It was there was no response. It was just like it was just left <laughs> me on my own. In left me in that place that nobody wants to be in when everyone's kind of yeah whatever. Yeah. And I was like, oh no, please, someone just say you you're an idiot or something, so I can at least have a conversation. But now George didn't even speak to me. He was just disgusted. Well, I'm sorry it wound you up to start the show, but it's very amusing for the rest of us. I've got to be honest with you, um, uh, Amy. Um, it's not strictly an Arsenal-related uh, story, but there is an Arsenal connection to it. I blame Arsenal, actually, for this. Um, as Lee will remember, Arsenal won the double in 1998 for the first time since 1971. 
And let's not exaggerate and say that I sort of totally over-celebrated, but I might have had a bit to drink and been in a bit of a happy haze. Um, and it was the end of the season and the World Cup was coming in France, which I was tremendously excited about attending. And in between, thinking I'd have a nice little break to kick back and, and, and kind of regain a little bit of composure before going to the World Cup... I was asked to go and cover Fulham against Grimsby in the playoffs of what was, I think, then the, um, well, the old third tier. And uh, I went to the game and, cut a long story short, uh, Fulham scored a goal at one point, which I hadn't noticed was given offside. Uh, and I filed a match report on the final whistle uh, that said the final score was Fulham 2, Grimsby 1. And when I went in the press conference and was listening to the manager speak, it dawned on me <laughs> in a very agonising and mortifying way that I didn't understand what they were saying because nothing related to the fact that Fulham had any kind of advantage in this playoff situation. It was a second leg to come at Grimsby. So I had to go through the um, utter humiliation as a working professional football journalist of asking one of my peers what the score was at the end of the game. Um, so when he told me, when I was politely informed with a slightly quizzical look that it finished 1-1, one, one, uh, I, I thought, shit, I'm going to get sacked here. Um, <laughs> it wasn't really a, a, a ladylike way of putting it. And I, I remember to this day the physical feeling of thinking my stomach's actually falling out of my body. Like, Ugh! it was like this whoosh <laughs> of anxiety. And uh, uh, to my immense gratitude and fortune, there was a Fulham fan working on the desk at the time. Uh, at the Observer, who ha had been keeping on top of the score, so clearly took one look at my copy and thought, well, this is a load of old codswallop, and thankfully rewrote it before it got sent to press. But I did have to ring up and say, uh, I'm sorry, I think you might fire me now, but I ought to let you know that it didn't finish the score that I filed. <laughs> that, Amy, that is outstanding, <laughs> really. That could overtake the own goal. Yeah, oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay, I'll take oh, that. Oh, no, sales past mine. Sales past. <laughs> That's beautiful. James, can we can I you was just thinking that? about Lee scoring the own goal, making the defensive mistake. Really, you should have followed David Louis' example. All you need to do is go out, do an interview after the game, blame your contract, and apparently that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking about my own professional embarrassments, and there were plenty, many, many, many to choose from. But on the theme of sort of following what happened to Arsenal this weekend, being ahead and then going behind, that sort of turnaround in fortunes. In my other life, in my other career, I was in a, a stand-up competition and I reached the final, right? <laughs> and I was like, here we go, the final. I've got a real chance of winning something here. And I was on last, which isn't a bad place to be. You know, technically in my head, I was like, I'm headlining the final here. You know, after when the votes all come in, I'm going to be in the best possible position. I went out on stage absolutely confident took the mic out of the mic stand, in doing so, knocked the mic stand off the stage, which was a raised stage, onto a woman in the front row who was in a wheelchair. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think I, I sort of, I think I just stood there and went, it's not ideal, is it? In the final, <laughs> it was like, I, I, it, it, it was hard to recover from that position, Ian, as I'm sure you can appreciate. For me, well, I didn't particularly make it Arsenal related. I've just, again, like James, so many gigs. I could mention a corporate gig for garden furniture manufacturers where I opened with a line, if Snoop Dogg was a keen gardener, would he use a hoe? To absolute <laughs> silence. And then they just all started talking. I mean, it was the first nine, and I thought, that's never getting that back. But honestly, if you're asking me, professional embarrassment, it is sort of embarrassment. Um, I've got a mate, a very good mate, who's a comedian, who's been with his missus, who I've known for 15 years. And I think I've been calling her by the wrong no, name. No, the whole time. <laughs> but the whole It's too late time. now, you can't anyway, go back. I can't. There's nothing I can do. I have to engineer a situation where someone else is in the room, and I say, can you call her over? <laughs> you know, but... There's very little I can do. Uh, anyway, we've all been there. OK, I think we all understand uh, professional embarrassment. Yeah, some more than others, Stoney. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, doing stand-up comedy, I would suggest. it's and, and also, by the way, any live performance, and Lee, you know this, you're going to get, you're going to do badly in front of a lot of yeah. people. I mean, I've never died in front of 40,000, I'll be honest <laughs> with you, but um, even still, it's, it's painful. Cumulatively, um, you have. Talking... Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? There was an Edinburgh. Mind you, there weren't that many that year. Sponsors Handbrake Off, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Carries was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, a weighted ergonomic handle, five precision engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. I haven't been shaving for a while. Right now, I look a little bit like Saddam Hussein is when he came out of the hole, but some people are still keeping their standards up. And if you're one of them, as a listener of Handbrake Off, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash off right now. That's harrys.com forward slash off. Now, there is a very good piece uh, on the Athletic website. I think it's going to come up fairly soon, written by Stuart James. Uh, he spent Saturday afternoon watching Arsenal v Brighton, as did all of us. Uh, but I think Stuart probably had more fun because while he was doing that, he was engaged in a Zoom conversation with the England rugby coach, uh, Eddie Jones. Now, Amy, you read this article first and, and sort of alerted us to it. Um, and you highlighted a couple of areas that we could discuss. And one of those was about changing the culture of the club. It's basically saying... It's all very well saying that what you're going to do, you're going to change the culture of the club, but you need a solid base to build from. And he hasn't got that at Arsenal. The Spaniard is essentially trying to change the whole culture of a club with the same group of players. Is that even possible? Is Was the question. Yeah, exactly. And I think that really um, is something that's been probably going round and round in a lot of our heads uh, over recent days. And I think one thing that um, the post-lockdown sort of calamity has reinforced to everybody i mean in a in a big bubble bursting way is how bad a sort of hand of cards um mikel arteta has been given i think in this job uh, i spoke to someone uh, during the week who said that arteta sort of knew he was taking on a big job when he took this but maybe not as big as as turns out and i think that it is how you know you look at the players he's got available and uh, James wrote a piece as well in in the week and other people have highlighted the same thing which is you know what teams are going to pick for for Thursday night like you look at the squad and it's it looks very troubled um and it's amazing how quickly in a way the relatively positive vibes of pre uh lockdown and pre the pause have disintegrated and suddenly almost everything looks complicated and like a problem and I think this is a huge challenge for an inexperienced coach like Mikel Arteta right now. But there's dealing with the now and there's dealing with the bigger picture, which is how does Arsenal as a club relaunch itself over a period of time? It's clearly going to need a lot of patience to become competitive again. Um, I think that there's a lot of players there that probably are in a state so you'd ideally want to have some fresh people around the place to try and rebuild that culture. But the trouble is, in order to do that, you need one or two things. You either need a shed load of cash to invest to get a bunch of new players, and that doesn't look very likely at the moment, or you need super, super smart recruitment, like absolutely unreal. You've got to be lucky with recruitment anyway, in fairness. And Arsenal's record of late is kind of some... Some have gone well, some have gone less well, but they, they need to pick up a h- absolute range of bargains that turn out to be outstanding. And that's kind of hard to imagine as well at the moment. So I hate to be da- put a downer on it, but it's it's very hard to see how that culture can change without the churn needed in the squad. But it's very hard to see how that churn in the squad is going to happen. James, can I ask you, do you think it, when Amy's talking about... Um, uh, Mikel Arteta not knowing the team he's going to pick. Is it more the fact 
he doesn't know the, t- the players he's going to pick the team around. I think that's it, yeah. I think it's where do you start? I mean, there are six players, I think, who played in both games so far in the Premier League, you know. And that's sort of the core he's working around at the moment. One of those six, I mean, just to pick a name, and it's unfair to do so because he's been a bit better of late, but one of those six is Shkodran Mustafi. And you don't want that to, uh, that person who is that inconsistent, has that track record in your six, you know. He doesn't have the basic building blocks in place. And to Amy's point about changing the culture, I think Eddie Jones says in the piece, he says, you don't have to change everybody, but you do need to change several key individuals. And I think... One of the really frustrating things for Arteta at the moment is that some of those individuals he can't change. You know, I mean, Mesut Ozil's not played a minute so far in the Premier League. He's got another 12 months on his contract. He's absolutely not going anywhere. So to a certain extent, Arsenal kind of hanging on, waiting for a position when they do have a bit more fluidity. They do have a bit more flexibility. And it does feel like it is limiting the work Arteta can do on changing that culture. Lee, have you been in this position or, or was it the fact that you, when you were brought into Arsenal, you were brought into Arsenal to partly change the culture of the club? George identified you as someone who could move them forward. Yeah, I think I think um, George's blueprint or his, his idea that he had was, you know, he'd assessed the playing staff at the club. He realised that there was an attitude that didn't fit his workmanlike um theory on 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 hard work and and how to uh, create a, a force uh, of a team that was going to go and um carry out his his ideas through hard work and um an attitude and hunger um so he he realized he had a lot of good young players there which there's some good young players at Arsenal as well there's no doubt about that um but he was prepared to uh, trust his judgment on the you know lower league players that he went and bought out of obscurity. Myself, Steve Bold, Perry Groves, players that you know Alan Smith, who was perhaps a little obviously ahead of maybe me and Steve in that respect. But he you know he wasn't the the standout um, forward that you perhaps looking at Arsenal over the years have have, have gone out and and, and bought. So in it, in it, but he was willing to. The, the club was in a, a certain state when you look at where they were in the league, etc., and probably similar to where they are now. The difference is there wasn't a lot of success before to compare them against in recent years. So he had a he had a free hit in that response, but he he trusted his ability to be able to pick a player out of the lower leagues and put them into a, a team framework, um, educate them, discipline them. And go right. I think where he got not got lucky. It's a wrong word, but where it kicked kicked off a little bit for him was that I don't think he expected us to be as good a team as we were as early as we were. You know, first full season, kind of my first full season, go and win the league, and then you know a year after that, um, win it again type thing. So in ninety one, so it was. I think that surprised him a bit uh, how well we'd done that early but if you look at Arteta now with the youngsters he's got um, and you might say he didn't have the 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 senior players there to 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 bring those youngsters through um, but George didn't have that as well so it's it's but the club is at a completely different step now because everyone's looking at them going how far how far down the ladder have we fallen and we want those times back and I think the patience is is going to be very difficult for the board, for the fans as well. We're going to look at it and go, no, we want success now, and we want it to change now. Well, it's not. Amy's quite rightly pointed out, and James, it's it ain't changing overnight. This this is huge, and I think Arteta's now looking at it, going, whoa. I think his his interview after the game at the weekend was so telling as to how disappointed he is in this bunch. And how how they performed, and and the realization of, I think it's the first time that it's actually the pennies dropped. The realization how big a drop, how big a job this is. I mean, Amy, you you mentioned the young players as well, and that was another point you brought up from the interview about when Eddie Jones said it's an opportunity for young players to really show themselves because there's not a crowd, and they've got no fear. They can just be themselves and take on a leadership role, which is all well and good, but. Surely they only do that if they've got one or two experienced players around them 
to, to look after them to a certain extent. Yeah, I think so. And that's, a, you know, I think what, what Eddie Jones says was was great in ideal circumstances, but it just emphasises how unideal these are, that you're looking to Bukayo Saka, you know, probably the youngest member of the, the team, to be the spark, to be leading, to be showing that commitment, um, that fearlessness. He was probably the closest player on the pitch to having those qualities that you think should be a given and presumably Arteta would require them as a given for going out to play a Premier League game. Um, but, you know, we're not... that. I think that's the whole point, isn't it? There's all sorts of possibilities that you'd look and hope for for this team, but it seems like everything's been thrown and part of that, obviously, is the terrible luck that Arsenal have got at the moment and that's another reason, I think, to feel great sympathy for Arteta, to be losing the kind of calibre of players that he's lost to injuries, people that you would have totally expected him to be wanting to to have in the team first names on the team sheet types of people, Leno, Xhaka. He was very keen on Mari. Um, and we've got Lee here. I mean, he, he called it. Lee called it about injuries a couple of weeks ago. I mean, how many more can this team withstand? Lee, can I just... Lee, can I just check? When you said about injuries... You weren't just talking about Arsenal, were you? You said a couple of weeks ago that there will be injuries because the players aren't up to speed. But it seems it's just us. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure all the other managers will point out, you know, if you talk to Sean Dyche about his position with injuries and the bench that he put out last night, there's some contractual things as well with that. But no, I, th- I think it's, it's, it was a generic um, conversation and statement based around the, the vigours of what they they they're going to go through. So, um, but I, th- I think just just come up for me then when you were talking to Amy about um, Saka and the leadership qualities and everyone's looking at him because he's this bright spark and, and, and he did play well and he has got that about him. But the, the, on the flip side, when you when you look at someone like Guendouzi and what happened at the weekend and talking about leadership qualities, he, he absolutely needs a rope around his wrist in order to be able to pull him around the pitch with somebody who knows where they're going. He needs to be led. He needs to be directed. He needs to be pointed in the right direction. He needs to be led away from those situations of grabbing someone around. We all need a bit of fire. We need a bit of fire in your belly, as George Graham says, but that's misdirected. And so if you've got that going on in a team, there's no way in a million years that would have happened in any team that I played in. That, that situation, yes, don't get me wrong, some of us lost our temper or did it, but it, it was it was policed, it was it was um it was guided, it was um it was it was worked out whether it was right or wrong for the team. That was wrong for the team, so you sort it out. It, 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 that wouldn't have happened in any team that I played in. So the whole fabric of what um Arteta has got in front of him is is not only the players, certain players are not good enough, the squad's been hit by, decimated with injuries. Not only you've got that, but you've also got a broken uh, fabric of the team of the team ethic. There's, there's people doing what they want. There's breakdown in communication. There's, you know, Mustafi, as you point, quite point, rightly pointed out, um, you know, he's done okay, but then he's one of the guys. But, you know, it's absolutely terrible for the goal you know, getting done with a one-two and then blaming the goalie afterward, immediately after. And you could see him having a go at the goalkeeper for coming out. And it was like, come on, all of that stuff is stuff that he can't fix overnight. And that's going to take time and time and time. And that's the problem he's got, the ticking clock and everyone going, well, aren't Arsenal rubbish now? Well, no, they're not rubbish, but they're just going through this patch that without, as Amy quite rightly said, without brilliant recruitment, a load of luck, and a load of money ain't going to get fixed for a, quite a long time. Lee, um, just what you were mentioning there about, uh, you know, Guendouzi needing someone to kind of guide him around the pitch and stuff. How different would his development be, do you think, a player like that, if he'd have been dropped into one of your teams? Oh, I think he's, I think he's got a huge amount of talent. I, you know, I, I like lots of bits about him, but... And it's not it's not, it's not his fault that he hasn't got someone. Imagine him just and you can answer your question by saying, right, okay, pick him up now and and take Manu Petit out of the team. 
with any team, any part of Mano being at the club and then stick him next to Patrick Vieira and go, do you just watch the difference between him? Because he would be, one, in the right position nine times out of ten. Two, he wouldn't run out of position like he does nine times out of ten. And the discipline that he would have, and Patrick was a, you know, he's a warrior. He would he would lose his temper. He was getting, you know, he's got more red cards than anyone. But the point was that there was a discipline in his play, his positional play, that that Guendouzi has got no clue where he's going on the pitch from a midfield point of view. As soon as the red, not even the red miss, as soon as a thought comes into his head, he goes, right, I'm going there. Runs out of position, leaves gaps. So if, if someone's got him, as I talked about, the piece of rope, which is a, the the George Graham thing, someone's got him on a piece of rope and leading him around the pitch, you would see he would improve fifty percent easily, easily. Be by having. I mean, he's got Sabias next next to him in midfield, who you know, lovely on the ball, got no doesn't no discipline, no no structure to his midfield play. It's just off the cuff. He's got so you've got two central midfield players playing off the cuff. Absolutely no chance of winning football matches. Um, James, I wanted to ask you about, I mean, we're talking about senior players mm-hmm. needed. And, um, I mean, the names we've had, Bern Leno, we can all get with, but I don't think we should forget that Granite Xhaka, eight months ago, was being booed off by his own fans. And now we're saying, oh, if we had Granite Xhaka, we might have a bit more of a chance. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. It's not, he's not a perfect solution, but I do think in Arteta's first few months he did become quite tactically important to him. He's someone he lent on a little bit. Uh, but I, I just think that speaks to the general weakness in the middle of the park, doesn't it? The fact that when you look at the options, you know, Shaka's always the one that is talked about, the one whose absence is most keenly felt. Torreira is injured as well, but he's had his problems settling in. Sabios and Ganduzi, I think off the cuff is a perfect description of the way they seem to play the game. I mean, Saka played, you know, in a narrower role this week as a kind of third central midfield player going flipping inside out sometimes and he looked probably our best player and he's never played in that position before as far as I can tell so that tells you I think about the state of that midfield and you know I mean talk about dropping Gaduzzi alongside Vieira dropping Vieira into this team would improve it I mean tenfold I mean that is really the part of the pitch as bad as we can be at centre-half I do feel that if they were better protected in a team with more structure you know they would look a lot more comfortable yeah, Lee. Before we before mm-hmm. you go, um, um, we we're talking about changing the culture of the club, and and there was a piece in the there's a bit in the Eddie Jones uh, interview about how when what happens when you've been successful long term, um, and it's great when it starts, but after a few years, the training gets less intense because the players know how to deal with each other. And you have to bring in new people. I guess yeah. I guess Sir Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger were genius at that for a while. Yeah. But that seems to have stopped at our club. Yeah, and there's no doubt that that that, that philosophy is correct. And uh, we, under under George, it was being hit by a stick. And I use that, you know, not literally, but the, the fact of you can't keep doing that, boss. We know we know what we know what's required of us. We do what you're saying all of a sudden you just start to lose a little bit of edge in the dressing room. And I think George, just before he he left, um, under the circumstances he did, was thinking about breaking the team up a little bit and, and refreshing it. But that didn't happen. And I think Arsene, again, you know, you, you, you hear the same voice. It's, you'll hear it talked about a million times. Yeah, you hear the same voice in the dressing room. And, I mean, to be fair, when you take... That's sometimes... Over, uh, overestimated because if you look at the great Liverpool sides and and the 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 voice in the dressing room that they always had it was basically the same voice just passed down through the boot room so you're hearing the same messages but it was so successful you just go it was almost like this is what we do and the players go in right right okay okay but there's still a rotation in the players over the years because success breed success and so you go I'll keep doing this because we're winning brilliant we'll just keep doing it keep doing it and the turner the turn the voice was still the same but the players coming through from the youth and going through the system and I think there's been definitely a breakdown in that over recently over recent years the ideals of the club the traditions of the club have been eroded away slowly but surely and to to the point now where I don't recognize the, my biggest criticism or observation, let's put it, is, and I don't know the players because I'm not in the dressing room, but from the outside as a player's comment, I don't recognise the 
philosophy of that dressing room. Nothing that I see on the pitch tells me that what's going on in the dressing room is a good thing. And I mean that by it's not policed. It's not, there's no accountability. There's, you know, you're you're kind of, uh, it's got to the stage now where you, you go out and play. There is a structure there from, from Mikel Arteta, but the the players of it's going to take time for them to go, and are they good enough to be able to take all that on board? I think he knows that that's not the case. I think the philosophy of how he plays the game and what his ideas are uh, are being, um, you know, that they're they're for for the future. And right now, it it isn't going to change overnight. So you've just got to keep chipping away at it. Unfortunately, you know, as you said, two things: load of injuries and. The players that are injured have now become our our better players, and Xhaka, for one, when he's in the team, he's not, he, he for me, he's not good enough to be our one of our better players. So that's the trouble we've got right now. Doom and gloom. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, everyone's really excited and optimistic at the moment, but in all seriousness, <laughs> apart from the Southampton game on on Thursday night, which doesn't have. Um, huge uh, uh, chances written all over it. What do you make of the FA Cup Sheffield United tie on the weekend? Because that strikes me as still massive, but mm. I'm struggling to see how Arteta's going to pick a team that can can necessarily do that job at the minute. Is that is that something that Arsenal could do? Lee, do you think Arteta can get the team right for that game? Try and yeah, get through the cup? I think he is a motivator. I, I, I like a lot of what he says, and again, I don't know him, um, but I, you know, I'd like to think that he's got enough talent in there with Saka and and, and ball players that that on a one-off in an FA Cup you can create a winning environment. And the fact that Sheffield United have, you know, the wheels have come off for a couple of games might be a good thing. It might also be a bad thing, so we don't know that. But it 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 will boil down to you know things clicking a little bit more and and you know there's, there's no doubt that we've got a goal scorer that can score for fun we've got creative players on their day and we've got a you know we've got a, a defense that can keep the ball out but loses concentration it might be one of those days where they have a good day and they don't lose concentration and and you know we win 3-0 so that, that that's always a possibility with and it should be that should always be a case that you can win a game you know, if it was, if it, it wouldn't be, it'd be total doom and gloom if you could couldn't see another win coming ever. But with this team, you can see every single possible result in every game they play in, which is good in some ways, but also pretty daunting in others. Thanks, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, depressing. You know what? I think now. considering the week we've had, that's um, that's actually uh, not too doom and gloom. Thank you, Lee Dixon. See you next see week. You guys. Hello, this is producer Tayo. I'm just giving you a break from Ian's voice for a second to tell you that to celebrate the return of the Premier League, we're offering 40% off a subscription with The Athletic for a limited time only. All you've got to do is go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod to sign up for less than £3 a month. At The Athletic, we care about every club with a dedicated journalist for each team. For Arsenal, we've even got two. So sign up now to enjoy unrivaled coverage and insight of all 20 sides as the season reaches its belated conclusion. Uh, thanks to Lee Dixon uh, for the insight, as always. Um, there's one more thing um, that I wanted to point out. Um, Amy, I'll say you, you brought this article to our attention, and it is excellent. It is definitely worth a read from Stuart James on the Athletic uh, website, possibly later today. Uh, and he was talking about the young players and the opportunity, and we've mentioned that. But the other point he made was about Graham Potter. He, he t- also mentioned the Brighton manager, Graham Potter, and he went to see him when he was at Ostersunds in uh, Sweden and how how he really bought into making the team part of the community. Do, you, do either of you think that we have to think in those terms? If we're going to use the young players, we have to try and make the club f- feel a bit more connected with the fan base. Because we're talking about things being fractured. I think that's a bit fractured as well. I think what I feel about that is that the club somehow need to try and get hold of and maybe do a better job of, of managing expectations. And that is a very difficult thing to do in modern football because every football fan 
can sit and look at a situation and go, well, this needs a long term project. You know, this needs this needs to get worse before it gets better. We need to rip it up and start again until you lose to Brighton. And then you're angry, you're upset. And, you know, the games ultimately define how people feel. But I think that there might be a bit of an issue at Arsenal in that when KSC come out and they speak or when figures high up within the club speak on the executive side, they're always talking about, you know, we want to get back into the Champions League and win things. And that is absolutely the right thing to say in some respects. But it's also not necessarily realistic right now. And I think in order for fans and the club and the team and the manager to be more on the same page... I kind of feel, and I don't know how possible this is, maybe this is sort of pie in the sky, but I kind of feel like a great degree of honesty and transparency about where we are, how we've got to where we are, and how far we have to go before we're where we want to be would actually be helpful. Because I think going from game to game and being like, I can't believe it, we're still not very good. We're not going to be very good for quite a long time. And I think that it's important that everyone accepts that as frustrating as it is, because it is going to take, as we said in part one, a significant period for anybody, let alone Mikel Arteta, to turn this around. James, can I just ask you who you'd want to hear that message from? It's a really good question, Amy. Who would you Uh, believe it if they said it? Well, I I, I believe everything... I'm pretty... That makes you sound very credulous. I find Mikel Arteta super credible... And I think when he speaks out, that would be that, that. That's always the fans listen to him. I think. But another figure who hasn't really said a word <laughs> since he arrived at Arsenal is Edu. And I do think, as technical director and someone who has a lot of responsibility on the technical side, it would be interesting for him to be a bit more forthcoming about what the plan is on the technical side. You know, he did speak to us. Um, briefly spoke to David for the piece we did about Mikel Arteta. But I do think some sort of sense of if his role, and indeed Rousey's part of this as head of football, is to sort of look at the next five years and decide what the plan is, how what the progression is, I do think it would be helpful for that to be communicated. I mean, what do you think, Amy? I totally agree. I think that's why I asked the question, because... I think there is a slight vacuum in terms of communication and obviously managers speak um, uh, because they have to. <laughs> They've got certain contractual oblig- obligations to speak before and after every game and, and be a communicator on behalf of the team. But they're also a communicator on behalf of themselves and on behalf of the team. They're not really in many ways obligated to be the communicator for the whole club at a long term. They can't. So I think that message would be uh, really beneficial coming with a lot of authority and believability from somewhere else. And I think Edu, Edu's lack of, of, of vocal presence is something that has been a bit of a surprise because that's something that I thought would be a natural fit when he came back and would be a natural part of the role that, that we assumed that he was going to take. I think in reality, his role is much... He's, 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 tries I believe to, to ally himself quite a lot with the player side of things so I don't know how much he feels or he's being invited to make it a part of his role to be a communicator on behalf of the club but I wonder whether that would be a good conversation for Arsenal to be having to what to, to try and explore how that might be effective um can I ask Ian, sorry, can I ask you, Ian, do you think fans, uh, it's hard to generalise, everyone's different, but do you think fans are ready for that message? Do, do you think people would be accepting if that was communicated? Well, this is what I wanted to talk about, the honesty of the message and whether yeah. either of you guys, I'm, I'm not pushing this back to you, um, whether either of you guys think the club are being totally honest in, in talking about how bad it has got. I mean, I, I mean, James, you might know about... In, the, in, in stand-up comedy, there's a thing called the gap of delusion, and you have to keep that mm. to a minimum. If you've come off a gig, which is a seven, and you go, that was an eight, that's fine, right? You're, it's yeah. not too big yeah. a gap. But if you've come off a game, a gig, I, was, I almost said a game like Brian, but a gig which is a two, and you say that is an eight, um, that is not fine. And I think there's still too much. Reading that piece by David Ornstein and the way that Edu spoke about the club and, what a, and how great it was with Arteta... It was like reading a piece from a parallel universe for most fans. 
I think fans would be accepting, to answer your question, I think fans would be accepting at this point the club fronting up and saying how bad things are because the evidence is in front of us on the pitch, is it not? I've got two things just to, to say there. One is that in terms of it, that piece feeling like a parallel universe or all the things in it, I don't think most people read that at the time and thought it was pie-in-the-sky madness. I think there was still a lot of positivity and we are very reactive to results, to what's happening today. And I think that if you read that piece today, you have a different feeling to if you read that piece and, and the contents of it and the observations that Edu or Josh Cronky or whatever said about Arteta a couple of weeks ago. I reread it this morning. A, a really devastating slip. Yeah. Um, but the, the other thing I, that I thought was interesting as you were talking there is it reminded me of a conversation I had quite some years ago with um, someone at the club actually saying to them, why don't you be a bit honest with the messaging to the fans? And I can't remember the exact circumstances of what was going on, but the gist of it was, and this is going back, you know, a fair while, um, it, it, you know, mid sort of mid to late Wenger, uh, where money was really going to be a problem and the kind of purchasing power Arsenal had and the ability to hold on to players was really going to be a problem. And people were starting to get... Um, upset about it the fan base was starting to get upset about the perception that Arsenal couldn't compete for very attractive players or um, weren't able to hang on to their best players and at the time the message that came through is listen the money's just not there at the moment of course a lot of this was wrapped up in the stadium debt situation and where Arsenal was at that point and I said why not I think it'd be a lot easier. I think the fans will give you grace and give you time and give you patience if they understand, but people don't know it. People don't understand it. And there was such a hesitancy. It was almost like you can't go around admitting that you can't compete. And I understand that dilemma. It's actually a really difficult one. On the one hand, you maybe do want to be honest, but on the other hand, you know, it's a bit... Uh, uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't. I think that there would be a lot of criticism that came their way if they turned around at some point and said, you've got to manage your expectations because this, that and the other. Yeah. So that's why I think sometimes the message is diluted or, or softened. James, you wanted to come in there. No, I just was going to say, I know if you put this to the club, they would say, well, you know, if we said that, we'd be accused of lacking ambition or... There's also a sort of marketing element, as Amy suggests, yeah. the presentation of the club is important in order to, uh, you know, obtain or maintain certain commercial contracts. You can't start saying, actually, we're not going to be doing much for five years. I do well, even appreciate trying to buy that. a player. It's going to affect that too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do appreciate that. But I, I suppose that I suppose there is that disparity, though, isn't there? Because we can all see where we are, whatever the messaging is. You know, listen to this podcast. We all know what the situation is. Um, and I think the smartest thing for the club to do, and I do think this appears to be what's happening, is to lean into that core of academy players because I think that is sort of a cause and a position that the fans yeah. can take some pride and some satisfaction from. Yes, I think that that's what they're trying to do. But, I mean, needs must. They maybe don't have the money to spend on, mm. on, on senior players. I mean, one of the things, David Ornstein wrote a piece um, about the how bad it's been since Project Restart and calling it Project Rewind and all that, um, and the injury uh, problems, particularly to our goalkeeper after what happened uh, when Neil Mopay made, I think we can agree, a snide challenge uh, on, uh, <laughs> on Bern Leno. But the goalkeeping situation is is not simple. Uh, anyone fancy Joe Hart? He's uh, he's out of contract. <laughs> well, I saw another name do the rounds. Uh, Claudio Bravo is out of contract at Manchester oh, City Lord. at the end of this season. Um, I think Dave Besant's available. He played all right. <laughs> Harry Heroes, I mean, didn't he? John Lukic. Can we get John Lukic out Seriously. again? Seriously. Or if, Jens Lehmann back. Well, like he could, did come back in 2009. I mean, it? I know you're joking, but if anything speaks of the depths to which we may have fallen... It's it's even considering Joe Hart, the reserve goalkeeper currently at Burnley, uh, for for the position of probably first team goalkeeper. Um, I mean, we don't know the actual extent, do we, of Burn Leno's injury and how long he could be out for? James, N no, we don't. But I mean, if you speak to anyone with a kind of medical background who's seen that happen, he's had a hyperextension of his knee. You know, 
you could be looking at multiple ligament damage. Anything less than that will be relatively fortunate given the severity of the injury. So we are waiting for news on that, but let's just say they're not expecting it to be positive. No, and and according to David Ornstein's piece, by the way, there was a lot of um, there, there was disruption before the Man City game when players may have tested positive for coronavirus, although they're saying that it might have been a false positive, and and the test the next day came out uh, negative. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not actually sure what the question is here because I was going to ask how we turned this around, but that is a much much uh, bigger question. But I, um. Uh, Amy, have you got anything to add to what David Ornstein said about how bad it's been? Do you know, when when the fixtures came out and you saw straight away that there are four away games, I think we might have mentioned this before, but actually the travelling in this new football world is quite complex. Uh, I don't know how much of a difference it is if your routine is completely you know, messed up with in terms of players are used to, you know, eating then and arriving at a ground then and resting here and travelling like this and sleeping and tea and toast and all the rest of it. But, you know, it did strike me as very unfortunate to have three away matches on the spin as uh, and then a cup tie away from home before getting back to the Emirates, which is going to obviously be a much more normalised routine uh, for all the players. Um it, with that in mind, Man City away always looked tough, but I just think I was always looking at the Brighton game as the one to sort of re-restart the season, yes. if you like. And the fact that it, that was quite traumatic in lots of different ways, um, it just makes the kind of that that uh, flurry of four away fixtures in very quick succession just look even more daunting, I think. Um I think a lot of things have fallen very unkindly for Arsenal. And, you know, I don't know whether other clubs are looking at their own lot and feeling very miffed and hard done by as well, but this feels tough. And that's why I mentioned the Sheffield United game earlier, because I still think that the FA Cup is really valid and important, albeit quite difficult, given how many games and who's still in it uh, stand in the way of potentially trying to win that trophy. But, it, you know... How do you feel about Southampton away? I mean... (laughs) Worried. (laughs) Does anybody have the bravery or foolishness or whatever to turn around and say, I predict three points? No, I'm certainly not. Not on here. I mean, Southampton... See, that's that's where we are, isn't it? it is. And then you go into the Sheffield United Cup game having potentially lost three away matches since Project Restart, having not lost anything except the Olympiacos game, which was really painful in a different way in 2020. It just shows you the the depth of the task we have. So, you know, going back to what your kind of question was, it's really, this is a real rough, this is a super, super rough, sandpaper rough, like better nails rough period. <laughs> and to an extent, I've got a lot of sympathy for Arteta and even the players because, you know, they might have flaws as all of us do as humans, but I still believe most of them are not trying their best. And the pressure, I think, is horrendous. Yeah. And the pressure is not coming from people in the ground because obviously there's no one in the ground, but... The pressure comes from yourself sometimes. Well, for more uh, smiley happiness every week for handbrake off, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back. Oh, no. um, let's have a Sorry. song. Is anyone even still of listening? Of course they are. Of course they are. <laughs> and we were going to pick. We were going to pick a song, by the way, but Tayo just came up with Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now. It's hard to top that, isn't it, really? I have got two happy things to mention. Well, two two not totally depressed things to mention. All right, so one is um, <laughs> I have to send a huge, massive uh, congratulations to Northampton Town. Anyone who didn't come across this story, and I have to thank Jim Rosenthal for alerting it to me. Um, Northampton Town were in a pretty bad state in their uh, playoff match, t- losing 2-0 from the home leg, going away from home. And as uh, as a means of inspiring them, they traipsed into the video room expecting to get some uh, uh, compilations of, of opponents to study and set plays and God knows what. And Keith Curl, the Northampton manager, stuck on 89, the film close to uh, the hearts of Lee and I in particular, um, the story of Arsenal's... Uh, fantastic title winning last gasp uh, impossible dream and um 
it inspired Northampton to win the second leg 3-0. And well, Keith Bell went on the record saying how that t was a touchstone as an example of how miracles can be achieved. So maybe things are going to turn around for Arsenal. If they show them and all this, your film. All this negativity. Well, I'm not saying it has Show them bloody anything, mate. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't care. But yeah. things might seem impossible, but they're not. That was, uh, the yeah. other thing that's 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 maybe not quite as inspiring but related to inspiring the team is that if you are an Arsenal fan who goes to the Emirates uh, and won't be able to be there like all of us uh, when when we when we do finally get back for the game against Norwich, um, the club are calling on all supporters who have a flag that they would like to have shown at the stadium to send those flags in. Um, get you got to get your skates on because they need to get the flags. Uh, 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 arrived at the stadium by Thursday, um, and there's a bunch of instructions they have to that they have to um, to do. But you will get them back. They will all be sanitised. Um, but basically, any any flag that you've got that you might want as a representative of you, uh, I'd quite like to see someone do a flag saying, you know, uh, uh, Mustafi, can I have your shirt or something? <laughs> because Anyway, I worry they might just all say boo or something like that. I'll tetter around. Spend out. some money on know. tetter. Yes. I <laughs> don't know what you're doing. Anyway, get your flags going if you want to. Uh, check out the Arsenal website. Um, and they want they want people to know that they will be represented at, at the at the ground for as long as it takes. Um, that, that fans are no longer uh, going to be allowed to get to the stadium. What an excellent idea. Um, are we going with Heaven Knows Unvisible now for a, for a tune? I ha I, there was another suggestion, although that's absolutely very relevant, but um, uh, apologies, I can't remember the name of the guy who tweeted earlier in the week and suggested Orange Juice rip it up and start yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've got a couple of suggestions, but I feel like I might need them for after the Southampton game, so I'm going to keep them back. <laughs> and, uh... OK. What about Happiness by Ken Dodd? <laughs> well, listen, it would, it would end us on a uh, happier note. It's ironic. So. Bring me sunshine. Yeah, something like that. Um, thank you to uh, Lee Dixon and Amy Lawrence and James Manicholas and uh, Tyo, our producer. Uh, this is Handbrake off the Arsenal podcast brought to you, brought to you by the... This is Handbrake on. <laughs> Getting heckled as I'm doing my Sorry. last bit. Yes, right now it's Handbrake on. Uh, this is Handbrake off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by, by the Athletics. Stay safe, everyone. Mm -hmm.